Hey, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cutrera Show for Friday, December the 4th. Today, we'll talk with Adam Oldfield, our tech guy, about what is happening or not happening with the COVID alert app and what you need to know. And Airbnb has come up with a way to stop people from partying over the holiday season at their rentals. But first, our chief medical officer of health for the province, Dr. Williams, uh, sounded a little bit of a warning to some regions that they may be moving up when... uh, Today rolls around in today's provincial announcement. It's the COVID-19 response framework that we're talking about where they'd be moving up to. Uh, York Region, just to put this in perspective, is one of the uh, regions that people are looking at saying, you know, uh, this is probably what Dr. Williams is talking about is York Region because they have more cases now than Toronto did when Toronto went into lockdown. So that doesn't bode well for York Region. But the other question marks are Durham. And Halton, and here to talk about her region, uh, the mayor of Burlington, Marianne Mead Ward. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. So what are your case numbers like? Well, they're still lower than the lockdown regions, uh, for sure. And they've really kind of been hovering. Uh, they, are, they are above the, uh, the 40 per 100,000, which is the red level. So we are solidly in the red. Uh, but we had a day in Burlington a couple of days ago where we had zero new infections. And and so, you know, it, it, it goes up and down a little. You really have to lo- look at the seven-day or the 14-day uh, average and see what's happening. Our active cases are actually starting to go down. So what that means is that new infections are happening at a slower rate than cases are being resolved, which is good news. So, you know, we're on the edge. I suppose we've been there for a while, and I know our, uh, I know that we're hoping to stay out of lockdown. I can tell you that. Our businesses, for sure, their employees, their families that rely on that income are hoping to um, find another way to, to um, you know, keep, keep battling the infection rates down. Halton's a big region. There's a lot of towns uh, in Halton. Can you uh, tell me what the, the other mayors are saying? Are they experiencing similar case counts? It's quite different, actually, across the four municipalities. So we have Halton Hills, Burlington, Milton, and Oakville. Halton Hills numbers, they have five active cases right now. It's its very low. Um, Milton and Oakville are what are seeing the highest increases and the highest number of active cases, well beyond um, Burlington and, and well, well beyond uh, Halton Hills. So it's not equal throughout the the region. However, we are part of the same public health unit, and so we are really all in this together. And mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, notwithstanding Burlington's numbers are low, Halton's numbers are Halton Hills numbers are low. Uh, the region is right on the edge. What's the situation like in the in the Halton hospitals? Well, we had an outbreak in um, in our Joseph Brandt Hospital, and so there are roughly 20 uh, folks that are being treated for COVID in hospital. Uh, our ICU capacity, we're getting updated uh, numbers on that. We're, you know, all hospitals uh, in the fall, typically even without COVID, uh, start to approach their capacity numbers because of the flu. And so when you add COVID into that and we don't want to start canceling surgeries, we have to look really closely at those uh, at those ICU numbers. So uh, our, as, as I said, our indicators are right on the edge of, of uh, potential lockdown. Uh, but I think mm. it's really important to say that we, we, the collective we in the country, don't have a clear handle on what is where the spread is coming from. Many of the cases 
really can't be traced to a single source. That means it's community spread. That means it's close contact. It's not necessarily happening in our businesses. And that's what I think is the most important message because the remedy to get the numbers down and, and the, um, and, and the reason why the numbers are going up may not be matched. So the remedy has been to close businesses. I mm-hmm. can tell you in Burlington, the restrictions that many of our businesses have put into place that have gone above and beyond the legislated requirements, above and beyond what our medical officer of health has recommended even, they're some of the safest places for people to be. And to close them, uh, where we've seen in Peel, for example, it hasn't led to a decrease in infections, the lockdown. So so we have to kind of turn our mind to, so what's causing it? And what we are starting to realize is that it's, it's uh, family gatherings, it's parties, it's some of that socializing. As soon as the bars and restaurants closed, people took it inside. And so I think the strongest message we can give is uh, do not socialize with anybody you don't live with. That has me... to be the message, and that's a tough one for Christmas. Yeah, let me ask you this. It's about uh, people traveling from other regions, like you're right beside Peel. What have your uh, business owners in Burlington been saying about that? Are they nervous? Are they concerned about the possibility of, uh, of spread? Well, certainly some of the employees that work on the front lines making minimum wage are nervous. I've heard from them. I've heard from parents of, of kids that are, you know, putting themselves through university working in these jobs. And they have they were told uh, before Black Friday to prepare for an influx of shoppers from lockdown regions. And sure enough, uh, they did. They did see that. And however, what we what we've been told by our bylaw officers throughout last week and Black Friday was that the numbers were actually quite manageable. And I think some people were probably concerned that it might be crowded and stayed home. And, you know, there's lots of other options for shopping. There's online ordering, of course, which has been around for a long time, curbside pickup. And we are, you know, myself, uh, Rick Bennett, who's from Halton Hills, uh, we issued a statement asking people to stay in their region. Uh, of course, the medical officers of health and the premier have echoed that. Uh, support your local businesses, especially in lockdown. They need you more now than ever. So find a way to support those local businesses and don't travel among regions. But one thing I will say is that we've been beside those hot spots throughout this pandemic, and our numbers have always consistently been lower. Okay, so you, you, you put forth a really good argument for not being moved out of the red zone into the gray zone for Halton right now, especially Burlington. I know that when York Region was being considered as uh, they were being warned by the Chief Medical Officer of Health, along with Peel in Toronto before lockdown occurred, that they would possibly be moving into lockdown. And York Region, uh, based on what Premier Ford said, got together the mayors and they wrote a letter to, uh, I believe it was York Region. I could be wrong. It might even be Halton now, if memory serves it, right. It Actually, Halton. it was you guys. It, it was, was you guys. Uh, you, you wrote a letter to the Chief Medical Officer of Health, and they left you off the list. So uh, did you did you reach it again last night? Well, this I've been advocating, and, and we as mayors have been advocating really for two things throughout this second wave. The first thing is make decisions based on transparent health advice and evidence and so that has now been provided with the framework here are the thresholds mind you those can change they can go up or down and we saw you know when we were in in uh, below the red zone in the orange zone uh, the thresholds changed and all of a sudden we were in the red zone 
Fair enough, but at least the decision was made based on health indicators, which we advocated for. But the other thing that, that we've advocated for, and I um, am, am very strongly advocating for now, is open with restrictions. We do not have to choose between staying healthy and being open. Essential services are allowed to be open. They have found a way to do it safely. All businesses can find a way to do it safely. And I can tell you the businesses here in Burlington have gone over and above to make sure that their employees, make sure that their customers are safe. Nobody wants the bad press of being a source of spread. That would shut them down, and they'd, they'd have very uh, hard time getting out from under that bad publicity. So they have many reasons, but first and foremost, they want to keep their customers and their employees safe, and they've done it. So I believe there is a way to keep our economy going, to keep the businesses open, including those ones that are not deemed essential, uh, with extra restrictions and protocols and cleaning and social distancing and, and, you know, limits on people inside. The other thing that we need to do is make sure that there is absolute fairness. It is utterly unfair uh, that like a home sense, for example, can be open with 276 people inside. The one at the mall I was at yesterday buying a blanket for my veterans holiday fundraiser. That was the number. And a restaurant is limited to 10 even if they have a massive amount of square footage. So that needs to be fixed. There needs to be fairness and there needs to be sense in what the restrictions are so that businesses that have the capacity can have a number of people inside that is commensurate with their floor space and their ability to keep people separated. All right, before I let you go, because I am at a bit of a time crunch here, um, did you reach out to the Chief Medical Officer of Health and say, please don't put Halton into lockdown? Not yet. (laughs) You might want to get on that. I think he's going to make an announcement soon. Yes, it's still early. All right. Well, I'll let you off the phone. You might want to um, let your fingers do the walking. Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time, Marianne. Okay. Bye-bye. I want to welcome to the program Adam Oldfield, who is our 640 Toronto tech analyst. Adam, let's start off with a good morning anyways. Good morning to you. (laughs) Good morning. (laughs) Thank you for having me. (laughs) And then let's just hop right into it. Did you know there was an update for the COVID alert app and that was it was released a week and a half ago? That's November 23rd. And if you're wondering what that was for, it's because the COVID alert app wasn't telling people if they'd been in contact or close contact near someone that has um, been diagnosed as positive with COVID. That's the only thing that app does. That's all. That's that's its entire responsibility, and app developers fixed it last week. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, of course, with every app that gets developed, there's always going to be bugs. And well, let me preface this with: I haven't heard why or the reasons or other in development of why it happened. But uh, I, you know, I built apps. I worked. That's actually my primary function, Kelly. Is that I actually do that for a living, working in web and apps and other development. And I, I understand that there's always going to be bugs because it's not just one simple application. And I'm kind of defending them in this premise uh, because. You know, depending on their uh, the iOS or the Android, uh, they're always doing updates. So there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to apps. So that said, uh, the fact that it wasn't operational for two weeks means that there's not really a lot.
lot of, uh, you know, Q&A on it, meaning they're not double checking. They should be constantly mm. testing with security updates. And there is a ton happening right now in the world of Internet when it comes to applications. In fact, just yesterday, Google announced that there was a massive uh, bug issue across multiple main platforms of apps that are very susceptible to being uh, hacked. And we're talking banking apps, COVID apps, uh, and it's up to each of the developer uh, that Google's claiming that has to update it themselves to be able to protect it. So uh, I don't know if that has any relation to the issue with the COVID app, but I can tell you that, uh, you know, certain apps like booking.com, again, major banks, all of these have to update their apps right now because they're susceptible. Mm -hmm. So this is the ongoing challenge when it comes to, hey, I've downloaded an app. Look, it works. It's going to, you know, do its due diligence and I don't want to say save me, but make me aware of what's going on. And I think we all become very uh, complacent when we get into the app world, right? We end up getting very comfortable with the fact that, well, it will tell me if there's a problem. It's on and yeah. I trust where it goes. So I think a lot of people think I downloaded it. works. I said, yes. Yay. No one double checked it. There's actually um, a term for it. It's called automation bias. It's, it's human tendency to rely on an automated decision-making um, app, which uh, basically can uh, reduce personal a person's vigilance. And what worries me most about this is the fact that it wasn't working at the beginning of the second wave. They're saying that uh, people were, were telling in the Google Play app um store they were saying yeah in the comment section i'm having a problem here this isn't updating so if it doesn't update uh it won't tell you if you've had exposure to people uh that have covid19 and um apparently devices had not performed any exposure checks from november 9th to 23rd now can you tell me a little bit about exposure checks and what's happening in the background of supposedly happening in the background of the covid app yeah, well, what's, what's taking place when you download the app is that it integrates with a very low-frequency Bluetooth. So uh, it's more or less sending those encrypted messages around other devices that also have the app. So in that process of what happened or when it wasn't sharing information, uh, it wasn't transmitting uh, content of that app to other devices that had it. So uh, you more or less just had a dead app on your phone is pretty much what it was. It was yeah, not- and you know what, Adam? I had it on and it said it was active because I just updated it this morning. So you'd no way to know. No, it doesn't. And this is the thing. It wasn't calling an error is what was not happening. Uh, and, and again, that's that's obviously a fault in the app to, you know, again, they did rush it and uh, rush out with the app quite quickly. And they did it for obviously safety reasons and for understanding how it could be best managed. Um, for that matter, there's a lot of areas that could work on improvements. Now, uh, again, it's in the market. Maybe they are doing some updates or maybe they are uh, tinkering with it to come up with a few other fail safe to say, uh, please be advised your app is no longer active or a little warning. However, uh, again, when Google and and Apple, for that matter, they gave uh, permissions to individuals like yourself that if you don't want to auto-update, 
meaning don't force your apps to constantly update the latest, then, and you have to manually do it, that was another issue. So if you don't go to the active Google Play Store or the Apple iOS and say, yes, update that app, uh, it also wasn't getting done. So bugs mm. in the system, not active, and there's a lot of, you know, app, app or Google having their own concerns and issues on top of the app not working. All of it was almost like a perfect storm for how it didn't function. I think it's really important to punctuate what you're saying with the app still is not working unless you go and you update the app. Like if you don't have the automatic um, updates on your apps already and you have to do it manually, you need to re-update the uh, COVID alert app. I did it this morning. It, it doesn't take too long, but it's not going to work. And it's not going to let you It's not know it's not working, even though now we know it's not working. Let me just very quickly ask you this, because I want to move on to another story. And I'm at a, a crunch for time here, Adam. Um, it's about if you should be automatically you know, uh, pushing updates. Is that, is that something that's going to slow down your phone? Is that something that most people should be saying yes to? Uh, technically, I'm you know asking me as me and Kelly. I would say you need to get into the habit of I like to do it on Fridays. I don't like to do anything auto updated on apps on any premise. You're giving full control to the developer to do it. I would say okay. diligently make a note, put it on a piece of paper, a sticky, and more or less remind yourself you should check your apps and update it because you don't know what may be working or lurking behind it. That's why they turned it off. It was a big malware issue from the past. Okay, that's good to know. Can we turn our attention to this IBM story? I think it's uh, it's an interesting one, and I don't know if I think it's getting enough attention. IBM's warning that hackers are targeting companies involved in the vaccine's cold chain. That's the process needed to keep vaccine doses at extremely cold temperatures. And they sounded the alarm on their blog post yesterday that it had uncovered a global phishing campaign. It, it sounds serious because the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency also reposted the report. What do you know about this and what exactly are this? Apparently, it's a group of hackers looking for. Absolutely. This is a sophisticated level of, of hacking. And I mean, when we think of hackers as some kid eating pizza in a basement with mushrooms behind his ears, just more or less trying to infiltrate everything, that is not the case. This is a professional operation. In fact, it is so professional. These guys are like uh, pro- uh, mafia developers sitting in an environment trying to get to the high level. And so this is not this is not uncommon where they spend time, do their research, they understand the ins and outs of what it is about these vaccine pharmaceutical operations and they've done their element of how do they get in there how do how is that they research obviously to a degree of who is the email in fact only about a week ago it was announced that over 3,000 high-level CEOs of pharmaceuticals is available on the black market for only 200 to two thousand dollars now that's and that's crazy. If you think about it, Kelly, I could get a Microsoft CEO uh, email address content and be able to uh, infiltrate their systems. And that's how they've been doing it. So they get their email, they get their habits, they research who the CEO is, then they start to talk to the staff. They, they communicate as if they were uh, the CEO, president, high director, and they start to say, where is the status of? What is the detail of? This is not done in a couple seconds. This is over months of 
job research. Mm -hmm. Then once they convince or, you know, called phishing, as you referenced it, and IBM is claiming this is a serious, serious issue. And all it takes is human error to get an email from who they think is a director CEO of a, of a board or and they're like, yes, I better answer this question or I better give them updates. Then you're you could be disclosing that information to the hacking unit. OK, so, but what, um, why do you think they want to know? Like, that's really interesting, what, you know, how they're how they're doing it, because the emails were sent in the name of uh, an executive with a biomedical Chinese biomedical um, uh, company that specializes in cold chain uh, logistics. W- why not share the information globally if this is something everybody needs to do? Is this about a race to procure the mat- materials that facilitate the cold chain? I believe it's a combination of a couple things. One is uh, how are they doing it? How are they distributing it? How, how is it made or what are the elements and the components within it? Uh, and most importantly, how can they financially gain from it? So I, I don't know the, I mean, when a hacker goes in, there's oh. always a monetary element to it. So the way I saw it or my interpretation of when I saw them trying to infiltrate, uh, there's a little bit of a, you know, maybe North Korea, Russia, they want ideas of maybe what's in the product or in the vac- uh, vaccines that are there. I see it as they're targeting like Pfizer, a lot of major pharmaceutical. And if you're coming in as a director from a level of that communication, I see a financial gain to this. And that's what right. So they really could about. they could send malware out and lock up something crucial, and Absolutely. you have to then spend a lot of money to unlock everything. Exactly. The number wow. one hacking unit right now is medical, and that is where they're infiltrating hospitals, medical facilities, and otherwise. All this is is just one conduit to get their access to that medical environment to whether it's a hospital or a distribution center where it's going to be, uh, where vaccines will be operational. This gives them just one more element to be able to access through that. So talk uh, about nefarious control. It is. Yeah, that is really that's scary. Do you think this should be a bigger story? I think it should be a massive story, and I don't think uh, this happens every day. And I kind of look at it and go, nobody paid any attention to the fact that the entire hospital unit was hacked, and they were able to infiltrate particularly details of patients with COVID, uh, how many were administered. And other, I don't know. I mean, I kind of look at it and go, no, I think it's huge news. Um, somehow it becomes a little bit of a, hey, don't forget to upgrade your uh, your software and change your password. I'm thinking it's a little bigger than that. But, you know, again, I, I kind of stand at the background watching uh, as an observer. All right, Adam, I always appreciate having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Kelly. All right, Airbnb and parties at Airbnbs have been hugely problematic during this pandemic and even before the pandemic. But I mean, it's a scary situation. There's a possibility of people getting together and spreading the virus. We're trying to curb the spread of COVID-19. And Airbnb says it has a plan to curb New Year's Eve parties this year here to talk about it. Spokesperson for FAIR, B&B Canada. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us, Kelly. Okay, so what's Airbnb proposing? Well, they're basically proposing that um, they um, only allow guests to book a listing um, prior to, um, you know, in in anticipation of the holiday season and New Year's that have uh, positive reviews. Um, And they hope that, um, you know, by doing so, um, that this would weed out um, people that, um, you know, would eventually throw a party or, or would be prone to throwing a party on New Year's Eve. Couldn't they just black out dangerous days on the app? You know what? I, there is a currently the, the the province of Ontario has a short term rental ban in effect in, in the red zones of Peel and Toronto. And we have always been saying that the easiest way to eliminating 
any, uh, you know, uh, activities in short-term rentals and super spreader events in these red zones would be to geofence the company's uh, booking platform, which the mm-hmm. company could very easily do. And, you know, they are forced to do in other jurisdictions around the world where they basically block off the ability um, for people to book a, uh, a listing um, during a specific period of time in a specific geographic region. Um, that would be the easiest way. But Airbnb obviously has no interest in doing so because they need to make money. And, um, you know, that's not something that they volunteer to do. I guess the argument against that is for regions that aren't in lockdown, people are just going to come and rent our Airbnb space. So they figure that if you've got a good rating, you're probably not going to be using it for the party. The other argument is, is that um, we need these short-term rentals to isolate. And if that's the case, wouldn't it be if you were trying to avoid people partying, if the argument is that these short-term rentals are needed as self-isolation uh, places, then make it mandatory to rent it for at least seven days. That would really put these uh, places that are being used as party palaces out of reach for most people because you think about the cost of renting that for seven days. Yeah, I mean, that would be another way. Um, and again, um, for example, in the UK, where Airbnb was forced to um, um, you know, stop accepting rentals, um, Airbnb set up a way for people to contact the company for self-isolation purposes so that frontline workers and health workers and doctors and nurses could still find accommodation close to hospitals and so on um, if they needed to. And that's something that could easily be done here, too. They could geofence it and they could still have a way for people to reach out to say, well, we need to have um, access to um, housing for, you know, um, these valid reasons. So, so you know, there are ways of doing it for sure. Do you think that Airbnb's new restrictions uh, around rentals near New Year's Eve and the holiday season are just to make it seem like they're being proactive? Yeah, I mean, they, they're going public. Um, you know, they, they will be launching the IPO um, probably next week. So um, in their initial um, um, filings to the Securities and Exchange Commission in the U.S., they were isolating parties as one of their problems that they are dealing with, um, you know, reputational and so on. Um, So, you know, they have to do something. Um, It'll be interesting to see how effective it will be. Um, I doubt that it's going to be very effective um, because the entire company is built around this approach of self-regulation where they, you know, they call it trust between hosts and guests. And the more positive reviews both have, the more trustworthy these people are. And, um, the less incentive or or the less reason there is to worry. But independent research has shown that this form of self-regulation is highly flawed because both hosts and guests are biased towards um, leaving positive reviews because both want to continue booking um, either as guests or receiving bookings as hosts. So, uh, you know, I think it's it's a way for them to, again, uh, avoid responsibility to set you know, set them up to say, well, we did something mm-hmm. if something goes terribly wrong and to download responsibilities to millions of users rather than saying, OK, we're going to take things in our hand here. It's very easy. Um, everyone can use their Facebook account to, you know, um, do targeted advertisements in a particular geographic region for a company like Airbnb. They can easily, um, you know, run an algorithm to say, OK, we're going to stop accepting bookings for these days and these areas to, you know, prevent super spreader events during a global pandemic. Thorben, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your insight into the story. 
You're welcome. Thank you, Kelly. Bye. Cheers. If you are one of those people that um, rent on Airbnb, they say that now guests will need a history of positive reviews on their app to reserve an entire home for New Year's Eve in Canada. And Airbnb is making an exception for one night bookings made up until Tuesday. Based on that, uh, it suggests that bookings be made before early December rarely involves uh, parties. That's the data that says that. So uh, that said, why, why are you planning a party on New Year's Eve? We're supposed to be staying away from people. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Always appreciate your time. Don't forget to click subscribe and we'll be waiting for you on a daily basis. And speaking of, we broadcast live for three hours, Monday through Friday, nine till noon on 640 Toronto. Join us if you can.